Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining with us for this week's podcast. This week, we are excited to have Tim McAlpine teaching in our current series, Eating with Jesus. And Tim is a close friend of mine and serves as the discipleship pastor at Trinity Christian School here in Calgary. The best way to know what's going on at Southview is by checking out our weekly viewpoint, and you can find a link to that viewpoint in the episode description of this podcast. And if you're new with us here in this digital space, we would love to hear from you. You can find an online connection card at the bottom of that viewpoint, along with a prayer request form so that we can support and join you in prayer. And additionally, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. But now today, no matter how you're joining with us, may each of our hearts be open and expectant because God is here and Jesus invites us to bring all that we are and all that we're currently carrying to him. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, let's seek the face of God together. Well, howdy, Southview. I'm uh, just getting ready for next week. It's when it all starts, isn't it? Is that Stampede's coming up? Uh, where we pretend to be passionate about something and wear cowboy hats that are cheap. I've, I've been told, my friends, that our cowboys, the cowboy hat that I have is almost insulting to them, uh, and I should not wear it, so I don't. Hey, uh, it's, a, it's a true joy to be with you this evening. Um, funny enough, I actually used to call Southview home uh, in my early 20s, and I think it's really important to quantify that because what that means is uh, I would attend once every six, seven weeks, contributed nothing financially, uh, or even of my time for that matter, but would tell people that Southview was my home. Now, I understand that this is a generational thing, that, that those that have come after me, they don't do this anymore. Consumerism is dead in, in generations that have come since mine, uh, and they're all serving really well, giving faithfully. So I'm glad to hear that, but that was what I did. And um, we, uh, my parents have, have been here for for decades, and I am grateful for my time here. Because of my time here, I actually did, God was gracious and provided me with some relationships that would be fundamental and crucial to my life moving forward. Uh, love Southview, pray for Southview often. And with that said, but uh, I would be kicking myself if I didn't take this opportunity just to express my gratitude. Uh, a few of you will, will know, many of you won't. Um, my, my story and my family, as, as we've journeyed through uh, some challenging times with, with an addiction in my life, and a few years back, we, we hit a new low and, and found myself in, in a pretty desperate, destitute place. And um, Southview, along with the Exchange Church and my home church, Mackenzie Town Church, uh, rallied around us and provided support and prayer and, and, and so much so played the body of Christ in, in our family's life. And for those that would know our story, I just wanted to encourage you and, and praise God that our, our life has been restored in so many ways and, and the restoration has been tenfold what I could have imagined, but I just needed to express from my family uh, to you folks, thank you. Uh, this evening, we're going to continue on. Uh, today, we're going to continue on in, in the series, Eating with Jesus. Uh, we're going to be in John 21, verses 4 to 19. If you have your Bibles, you can turn there now. I'm, I'm going to read through this, and we're just going to walk through the text and, and see what it might be that the Lord would have for us today. John 21 Picking up in verse 4, it says, Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, Children, do you have any fish? They answered him, No. He said to them, Cast the net on the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, 
And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, It is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, for he was stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. The other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far off from the land, but but a hundred yards off. When they got out on land, they saw the charcoal fire in place, with fish laid out on it, and bread. And Jesus said to them, Bring some of the fish that you have caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish eggs, 153 of them, 153 of them. And although there were so many in the net, the net did not, pardon me, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now, none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them. And so with this, and so with the fish, This was the third time that Jesus was revealed to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. When Simon had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Friends, this is the word of God. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you, Lord, that we are here today and we have awoken this morning, which means we have experienced your new mercy, whether we've acknowledged it or not. I ask Jesus that you would by your grace, minister by your spirit in the hearts of all of us that are here in the ways that we need, in the ways that you know we need. Thank you for your word, that it is true, that trustworthy, that we can come under its authority, that you speak to us through it. May we hear from you this evening. Would the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing in your sight, O God, my rock and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. I'll never forget the moment that I made a decision that ease and comfort for myself was going to trump and was going to overtake the call to obedience in my life. This was prior, actually, to the time in which Southview and, and my church and other churches supported us. It was years before. We had, we had a 15-year-long battle in our home uh, with me personally. And I remember I had gone through a significant amount of loss and pain I had sacrificed ministries as a pastor in places uh, like Penticton, Kelowna, and Canmore. For the record, they're not bad places to live. And I'd sacrificed these on the altar of beer. I dealt with the consequences of a DUI, and God had used some of this pain to begin to draw me back to himself. And things were starting to, to move forward, and it looked like we were gaining some traction. But the guilt and the shame and the pain that I felt was too much for me to bear. 
I was so embarrassed by where I was at in my life that there was no way that I could continue on, and I needed something to take that away. I wasn't willing to be patient and persevere in obedience, but I was going to seek out the ease and comfort, and I knew where to find that, and that was in the bottle. It would lead to a couple years of of worse than before and actually lead us to that point where churches would surround us and support us to bring back our family and myself to restoration. Now, I'm not saying it's the exact same thing, but I believe in our text this evening, what we're going to see is a bit of this type of restoration where Jesus, and only by Jesus, can this restoration take place. What I find interesting about the text, though, is it's actually sandwiched in between two verses, in John 20, 30, and in John 21, 25. The author, John, makes these, these claims that Jesus did so much more than these pages contain. That there's actually so much more that he did that the world couldn't contain it if it were to be written out. And yet, there's this account of him having breakfast with the disciples, Scholars believe this is where the philosophy that breakfast is the most important meal of the day came about. Just kidding. But I do believe that there's more going on here. I want to suggest to you that John includes this and that God would include this in his word for a much more important reason. That there's restoration to take place that is truly divine. That is saturated in grace and could only be implemented in Jesus. Now, to give a little bit of context, what's happened up to this point, if you were to go back into chapter 20, verse 21, Jesus reveals himself to his disciples. And he says these words, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Jesus, they've witnessed him be crucified, go to a grave. They're now physically seeing him resurrected. And he says to them, Peace be with you. Now, here's your job. Now, here's what I'd like you to do. Here's what I'm calling you. Here's what I'm commanding of you. To go as as I was sent, I'm sending you. Sending you to do what? To be fishers of men. To go out and preach the gospel. To go and make disciples of all nations. Baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Here's your mission. I've noticed as I've, as I've read scripture that it would appear when God calls someone, I haven't, I've read this cover to cover a couple times, and I haven't, I haven't found an account where God calls someone to ease and comfort. And, and he calls the disciples to something more, as he did with, if I think of Abraham and Sarah, I think of Moses, I think of Daniel, I think of David, I think of all 12 disciples, I think of Paul that often when God calls, it's not to ease and comfort, but it's to circumstances, situations, and opportunities for him to glorify himself through us. That, that oftentimes it's things that we're called to where we don't have it in us. This idea that, that God would never give you more than you can handle is not in the Bible. In fact, what I read and what I see is more that God will absolutely call you to far more than you're capable of doing, and he will be the one to equip you to accomplish what he's called you. Why am I sharing this? Why does this matter to our text tonight? Well, even if you were to go back to Luke chapter 5, verses 4 to 11, 
It says this, And when he finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. So again, they're fishing. They're not catching anything. Fun fact, if you read through the Gospels, the disciples never catch fish on their own as fishermen. Putting out in the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets were breaking. They signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled the boats up so that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at the feet of Jesus saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he and all who were with him were astonished at the catch of the fish that they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, do not be afraid. And from now on, you will be catching men. Jesus had made clear what his plan was for these guys. And for three years before our text, he would demonstrate time and time and time again why he is trustworthy, why he is all-powerful, why there is no obstacle that, that can stop him or his mission. He would demonstrate to them through miracles. He would disciple them. He would interact with them. They would watch him be crucified. They would watch him and meet with him, risen again. But for three years before this, Jesus ingrained in them, you are here to be fishers of men, not to be fishing Have you ever been, like, it, it is almost as if there's reluctant obedience here. Even in, even in like, Peter's kind of like, ah, listen, we've been out here all night, haven't caught anything, but okay, we'll see how it goes. Can you think of a time where perhaps maybe you, or myself, I know I have, experienced where I was reluctantly obedient and then experienced the blessing that comes with obedience? where there's a hesitancy because I can't quite see what's to come. And even though Jesus had for three years, they physically were with him. They watched all the things that he did. There's still this reluctancy. Now in our text, you'd have to imagine doubt is setting in. I just think for Peter, what he had just done at the crucifixion, in the denying of Jesus, the intimidation of the junior high girl that came and confronted him about his faith. And three times he would deny Jesus, that he even knew him. And the weight that would come with that. You know, in the beginning of our chapter in verse 2, it, it lists these guys. It says, Simon Peter, Thomas called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana and Galilee, the sons of Zebedee. And as one author put it, because these two are first, it says, he says, they're given prominence in the list, and this is an illustration of grace. Simon Peter, the doubter, or pardon me, the denier, and Thomas, the doubter. These are the first two that are listed. But in John 3, 21, verse 3, we see that whatever's going on in Peter's head, he's made a conscious decision. I know, you gotta, he knows what Jesus has called him to, but he's going to go fishing. He says, I'm going fishing. And like a bunch of rubber duckies, all the other disciples line up in line and they say, we're going to come with you. He's the leader. He's setting, he's setting the bar. 
If Peter's in, we're in. We'll just go fishing. Now, it's not that fishing is evil in and of itself, although some have opinions that it is. But, but in this context, it's not that fishing is evil. It's that Jesus has called them to something else, and they're deliberately not doing what he said and going back to their old ways and going back to the life that he once lived, that when Jesus first met him, he's doing exactly what he was doing then. So we get to our verse four, obedience over comfort, obedience over comfort. Just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore, yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. It's fair to assume that because it's not light out that he can't see them. They don't recognize it's Jesus. I don't believe that John's saying that is it's, they're spiritually blind, but literally physically can't see them. Jesus said to them, children, do you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. So they cast it and now they were able to haul it in. I love verse five. And here's why. Jesus has just caught them red-handed in disobedience. They're called to be fishing men. They're back to their old trade and they're back to the ease and comfort of doing what they know what they can do. And how does he approach them? Here's an opportunity for Jesus to berate them, to belittle them. After all I've shown you, this is the thanks I get. This is now the third time you've seen me risen from the dead. And you're still going to blatantly dis have disregard for what I've commanded you to do. He doesn't do that, he's endearing. He calls them children. He's kind. He's loving. He's tender. And I'm convinced more than ever from Scripture and my experience that when Jesus catches us in deliberate disobedience and is drawing us back to himself, almost never does he use anger to draw us back. In fact, the Bible tells us that he, it's his kindness that leads us to repentance. And he gives them this opportunity to see and admit their failings, even in this circumstance. Are you catching anything? How's it working for you? You're not doing what you're supposed to be doing. Is that playing out okay? No fish? Try the other side. But he's not even sarcastic. He's just caring. And in their act of obedience, when Jesus says, do this, they obey and they receive this blessing. There's more fish than they can. There's 153 large fish, and the nets don't break. I love how one author put it. He tells the servant that success in their ministry is due not to their eloquence, their power of persuasion, or their anything, but due alone to his sovereign drawing power. Our Lord's object was to show the disciples that the, success, the secret of success was to work at his command and to act with implicit obedience to his word. That's not to suggest some sort of prosperity. If you obey, you get rich. But there is something to be said. My pastor talks about this all the time. The way in which we can experience God's power and his peace, the privilege of being his, ch his children, when we're living in obedience. Think about it. Proverbs talks about this. But just that there's, when we're living in obedience, fear's not a thing. 
when I intentionally am living disobedient, there's always this constant nagging fear of I'm going to get found out, I'm going to get caught. What if people really knew? But to, to obey him and experience the... I want to suggest to you that one of the greatest blessings of obedience truly is, is peace. Is peace. And we're going to see this in verse 7. So we're moving forward now. Let's see. You know, I would even, I would even say, here's, here's the invitation. Verse 7 says, So the, uh, that disciple whom Jesus loved... Okay, i got to say, John is hilarious to me. Uh, he also brags about being faster than Peter when they're running to the tomb, and here he is, and he's like, who am I? Oh, I'm the one that Jesus loves. You know that. I'm, the, I'm that guy. He would, he would have a, an interesting social media, I am sure. That disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment, and he was, for he had stripped for work, and he threw himself into the sea. Now think back. I read in, in Luke chapter 5. How does Peter respond to Jesus when he blesses him with all these fish, he says, get away from me. I'm a sinner. You can't be near me. You fast forward. Now we're post-resurrection. For the third time, he's now revealing himself. And Peter's response to, that's Jesus, is to run to him. What's changed? Like, that's a, that's a drastic, drastically different response to almost the exact same situation. And yet this time, he's deliberately disobeying. He's, he's doing exactly what he's not, he's not supposed to be there. In John 20, we, we, we read some of this already, but John 20, 19 and 20, Jesus appears to the disciples and he says this, peace be with you. And... Jesus said, and then directed their attention to the wounds in his hands and his side. It's as though there's been this heart transformation because there's been an interaction and an experience with the risen Savior where he has seen the wounds that have brought about the peace that he actually needs. And there's something now in Peter's heart that says, even though I know I'm wrong, he's the only one who's going to bring thing, make things right. He's the only one that can bring peace to my disturbed soul. He is the only one who can restore me back to what he has called me to. Peter has recently committed the greatest sin of his life and seen himself to be a bigger failure than he ever imagined, denying Jesus three times on the night of his arrest, and yet here he is, and he finds out that that's Jesus, and he runs to him. And it's the proper response, friends. When we find ourselves in situations and circumstances where we're dealing with the consequences of our actions, we need to be running to Jesus. And Peter doesn't earn anything. I gotta say, it's very confusing that he puts on an outer robe. I don't know about you, but when I go swimming in the lake, I never put a jacket on. I feel like that just adds weight and makes things more difficult, but I'm not a fisherman in this day. But he, but he runs to Jesus. Are you running to Jesus in your disobedience? Are we trying to earn and show to him why, we're, why we could be forgiven? Are we showing him how truly sorry we are this time? 
I, just, I love Peter because I, I, he's a little bit of my, I'm, we're brothers somehow, I'm sure, just because the consistent of the same mistake over and over and over and over again, and that feeling of, oh, you've got to be kidding me, not again. And yet each and every time, it's been Jesus who says, peace be with you. See my hands, see my feet. goes on, verse 9 to 11. And when they got to the land, they saw the charcoal fire in place with fish laid out on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went abroad and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And although there were so many, the net was not torn. I love it because Jesus calls them to bring the fish in. And essentially, he's like, I want you to count these. I want you to count your blessing. I want you to see what I've done for you. And the nets didn't tore, and not one single fish was lost. And then we have this, this meal where Peter invites them in verse 12, or pardon me, Jesus invites them in verse 12. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. And none of the disciples dared to ask, who are you? They knew it was the Lord, and Jesus came and took bread and gave it to them, and so with the fish. And this was now the third time that Jesus had revealed to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. We really see the heart of Jesus here. A.W. Pink put it this way. Even in his resurrection glory, he was not unmindful of their physical needs. Ever thoughtful, ever compassionate for his own, the Savior were sh here showed his toil, disciples that he cared for their bodies as well as their souls. We just see Jesus, he cares for their bodies, but more so is caring for their souls, inviting them back into his presence. Reminding them that it's not what we do for Jesus, and it's not even what he accomplishes through us, but it's in this relationship of joy, of adoration, of refreshment that we gain in his presence. He invites them in. And then, and then there's the breakfast ends, and there's this interaction with Jesus and Peter in verse 15. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? In other words, Simon, do you love me more than these nets? Do you love me more than these fish? Simon, do you love me more than your comfort? Do you love me more than what you know? Do, do you love me more than anything in this world? More than these, more than where I've just caught you. Do you love me more than this? Do you love me more than money? Do you love me more than status? Do you love me more than the relationship? Do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, tend my sheep. And he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved. Because he was said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Three times, 
Jesus, in his grace, offers Peter an opportunity to experience restoration for the three times that he would deny him. And, and, and the way in which Jesus asks about love, one author put it this way, love is the power of obedience. Love is the power of duty. Love is the power of service. Love is the power of sacrifice. Love is the power of worship. Love is the power of fellowship. Love is everything. So you see that in these opening verses, verses 15 to 17, and our Lord's dialogue with the Apostle Peter, here is a man who needs total restoration. And the only way this restoration could any way take place is through a love that is divine, or the Greek word agape, a true, perfect love. This is the love that Jesus has demonstrated for his disciples. And now he's saying to Peter, do you love me this way? It reminds me of, of the Apostle Paul when he's given a benediction to the church in Ephesus in Ephesians 6, 24, where Paul talks about an in, uh, incomparable love. I said that really confidently. Let me just look it up. It's still in here. Ephesians 6, 24, where he calls it incorruptible. That's the word. That would have been a way more uh, if I'd got it right, but... He's asking, do you have an incorruptible, like nothing in your life will you love more than me? And the reason Jesus asks this is because Jesus knows that if we love him with our whole heart, mind, soul, and strength, not only will we live out the lives that we're called to, not, li- and not just live out the lives, that, that the, the things that he's called us to, but we will experience joy that this world cannot offer. We will experience everlasting peace. That when, when, when it seems chaotic and confusing in our world, we can live with a confidence knowing, hey, my love belongs to Jesus and nothing else. So nothing that I have in this world has any internal, external significance to me. He's all I need. Peter, do you love me like this? And I love how Peter responds. He says, you know everything. You know, this is a declaration of the omniscience of God, that God knows everything. I've talked to some people, and it kind of freaks them out a bit that God could know everything. Here's my personal opinion. I love that he knows everything because there were definitely times where the ways in which I was acting were not a true reflection of how I loved Jesus. And I believe with my heart that he knew that. The same way that the prodigal son in Luke 15 is always the father's son, even when he's running off and doing his thing. He always belongs to the Father. God knows what we think, and God knows that we love. And I'm thankful, even though there's definitely some things that I wish he didn't know that I thought, a few of those, a lot of those. But I'm grateful that he knows. I'm grateful that he knows everything. And our text kind of ends with, with a bit of a startling statement where Jesus says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you, used, wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. In other words, this is Jesus explaining to Peter that he's going to be crucified. That when you were young, you did whatever you wanted. But there's coming a time where you're going to have to go where you, you don't want to You would rather be on the fishing boat. 
And, and you're going to go. But, but here's the thing. I love what it says in 19. This is how he, uh, this he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. You're going to glorify me. Peter, Peter, you denied me three times. You know, you've got a few Fs on your report card. But here's what I'm telling you. You're going to be faithful. I'm going to empower you. I'm going to equip you to be faithful to the end, and you're going to glorify me. And it's not because you want to do what's going to be asked of you, but you're going to do it because you're going to be faithful. I, I love it. Jesus is like, here's how your life is going to end. Hey, now follow me. Follow me. It's funny because if you were to keep reading, Peter turns around like two steps later and it's like, you got to be kidding me, Peter. But he says, follow me. And I just think of who is saying this and to whom. And you have Jesus saying to Peter, knowing what Jesus himself had just been through in his crucifixion. And yet stands before him. And now he is saying to, G, to, to Peter, you're going to be faithful. Just follow me. I'm going to restore you back to what I've called you to. Sometimes, sometimes I, um, like I read the Bible. And... You know, I wonder, like, do people still have these types of experiences today? You know, or is this something that just kind of happened? W without a doubt, um, I, like, I have the best job in the world. I'm literally a professional friend. I hang out with students. I tell them that I love them. I tell them to stop being dumb. I send them back to their classrooms to hang out with their teachers. It's amazing. I'm in a position where I'm entrusted with parents' greatest assets. Where I'm asked to partner with parents to disciple their kids in hopes that their kids would love Jesus with their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. Who am I to be in this role? I've proved time and time again why, why I shouldn't be. <laughs> and yet Jesus calls gently to the Peters of this world. Let's try this again. And I'm going to empower you to be faithful. The Jesus of this Bible is alive and well. And he is still at work and he is still restoring and at times it might not feel that way, but I promise he is. And he's saying to us tonight, follow me. If you're a note taker, I have three things for you. No one uses pen and paper anymore, I understand that, but. He's, first is this, that Jesus pursues us in our rebellion and kindly leads us to repentance. 1 Timothy 
This is trustworthy and worthy of full acceptance that Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners. That's what he came to do. Second, I want to encourage you that this is a picture of what's to come. This is a description that I read. The language of this passage strongly suggests Christ's future return in glory. First, this appearance is described as Jesus revealing or unveiling of himself in John 21, verse 1. Moreover, the nets are brought out of the sea to where Jesus is standing on the land, and after a long night, the harvest takes place just as the day was breaking. Just as the nets were brought to Jesus and the fish counted before him, so also will all the gospel labor that we perform at his command be laid out and accepted by our Lord with approval and delight. We may even anticipate the words that Jesus said, taken from the parable of the talents, well done, good and faithful servant. And how great will be the joy of that day for which the 153 fish symbolize a great harvest that seemed to overflow the net, yet it was not broken and not a single fish was lost. God is not going to fail. And finally, I would say, we don't earn a seat at the table, but we are invited. So there's hope. The same way that Jesus invited the disciples to come and have breakfast with them, he invites us to his table. And if your heart is to say yes to this invitation, as we come to this table, this, as Pastor Clyde calls, countercultural kingdom of God meal of communion, we come with men and women of faith. Breaking the bread to remember the broken body of Christ. Drinking from the cup to remember his blood poured out for us. Heavenly Father, would you use bread and cup to be spiritual food for us? May we know your hope, your encouragement, and your love. I would invite you to take the bread and as your pastor does, hold it for a moment. Would we remember and receive from Jesus the spiritual food? Would you receive this, the body of Christ that was broken for you? Let's partake together. And then he took the cup. And if again, if we hold the cup, and are still for a moment, and we remember, the purpose of this is to remember that this is the blood of Christ that was poured out for you. I invite you to drink and receive from him. Let's partake together. Would you pray with me?
God of grace, we thank you. Thank you for your word that serves to remind. Thank you that we see from this account your ability to restore. And Father, as we have just together partaken of your meal in communion, remembering and receiving from you what we need, would you, by your grace and for your glory, continue to bless the way that you do, that we might be faithful ambassadors of your gospel. We would be reminded of the call that you've placed on our lives to go and to make disciples. And Father, that if we were to be in a moment right now where we're feeling we just can't do that, I want to ask, Jesus, that you would just even, by your spirit, remind, remind us your body was broken, your blood was shed, so that we could be forgiven and freed. We love you. We pray all these things in the beautiful name of Jesus. Amen. As we go, I'd ask you to stand, and I will read this evening today's benediction. As the Apostle Paul said, Now may the Lord of peace himself give you peace at all times in every way. The Lord be with you all. Go in peace.